The goal of Data Transformers podcast is to accelerate digital transformation by bridging the gap between business outcomes and rapidly advancing technologies. And we aim to bridge this gap by focusing on data. I am Peggy Sai, top 50 women in tech influencer, co-author of the AI book and data governance expert. I'm Ramesh Danta, an entrepreneur, a tech blogger, and AI enthusiast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Data Transformers. I'm pleased to have Fionn Lee Madan with us today. She's the co-founder and COO at Fairly AI. And for those of you who've listened before, we've actually featured um, the CEO of Fairly AI, which is a governance and audit platform for AI systems. Welcome, Fionn, today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Welcome, Fionn. Thank you. I know we talked about this, but maybe for, you know, just for the audience um, who are listening, um, you know, really about the inequality gaps that, that we see. It's really, from what my perspective, spurred on by the fact of, you know, poor data or lack of data in a lot of these models that are affecting these results. So how do you see it from a technology perspective? Because you are I, I mean, you see yourself as a technologist. Um, how can technology help to solve and close the gaps when it comes to inequality? Yeah, so I think you're right, like especially around machine learning, right? Like data is like 80% of the problem. Yes. Um, so like having, having like technology to even like prep the data before you begin machine learning training is one area we are certainly looking at. Right. And I know a lot of businesses are looking at that too. Um, the other way is just to do the, what we do, what we call like an audit, right? Using technology to do an audit of your actual AI and algorithm and all the outputs from those machine learning models. That's how another way technology can help. Um, there's a lot of talk also about, you know, I think one of the, going back to data though, one of the reason why like there's the bias in data is because a lot of low income people are not as trusted to give their data to, I guess, all these online apps or like they may not even have access to online applications. Like when mm -hmm. I was in Cambridge, Massachusetts, one of the thing I was surprised about um, is that we don't use email to communicate to parents because some parents may not have internet at home. And you know we still use paper forms, and like I was shocked because here in Canada in Toronto everything's through email now, like oh all right so there's that. I think they fixed the problem like now Cambridge offer like free internet for the whole city basically, so they have they have that ability to do that. Um, but yeah, going back to data like a lot of biases because like traditionally either to minority data or people who don't have access to internet like don't. You can collect data if like the people are not online, basically, yeah. right? And yeah. none of the data we gather are on social media, uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter, and all that stuff. And I think if you look at the, at least the last time I look at the stat, right, like is the the younger, more affluent population that are using Twitter and Facebook, um, not so much the older generation or people who are in the lower income categories. So I think that's why like a lot of data especially like social listening type of data uh, bias 
That's right, actually. Yeah. So one of the areas, Fian, we wanted to ask you is this, okay, so the AI ethics is a very broad area, right? So you could talk about like, a, we heard instances of in UK, there was this there, uh, they try to identify the students who are more likely to be su uh, successful, you know, in the tests or things. There was a controversy that happened last year. And then you hear about other issues of um, the mortgage lending where uh, certain minorities and women were excluded when this whole the PPP, the, the uh, payment loan, disaster loans came into being in, in COVID, right? So, and then people get rejected as, uh, you know, Peggy mentioned uh, uh, for credit worthiness. So which of these areas is fairly AI targeted? So we are building our technology to be horizontal, meaning okay. like we want to be able to help in across all these use cases that you just spoke of. But our initial go-to-market is in financial services, because what we find is that ultimately, like financial services is the most AI-ready industry, um, because they have been using data for centuries, uh, decades now, mm -hmm. and that they have the most money, so they are the early adopter of AI. They are they they are able to spend the money to experiment with AI, right? So that's why our initial go-to-market is the financial services, and especially around you know credit credit lending use cases. Mm -hmm. Um, for the ethical use of AI. But there's actually a lot of interest in the capital side as well, like in the capital markets, even though there's no um, like personal information, it's all institutional, you know, stock trading stuff. Um, but because they are a regulated industry, they are actually um, thinking of using like the Fairly technology to help do some model risk management and validation as well. So we have uh, broaden our scope a little bit to include that in our current uh, product strategy. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, I think when we first uh, looked at Fairly AI, there's certainly a, a correlation, right, between uh, regulated industries that need to document how they come up with their models, and then what your product, um, Fairly AI, can do is to provide that audit trail and also collaboration um, between amongst the, the data science uh, team. So, uh, Fionn, you, you mentioned in the past about, um, I read somewhere, uh, your poster, I heard you somewhere, where you're comparing the artificial intelligence, the state of AI right now to the state of e-commerce about whatever, 15, 20 years ago, right? In terms of the terminology itself is getting set, uh, not everybody you know, on the same page what a particular the terminology means whether it's AI, ML. You know, we are sometimes we even argue AI, ML, the same thing or the different thing. So, so I would like to get your perspective on what you mean by the state of AI right now in the industry is the same as 15 years ago, whatever 20 years ago, and it most likely will go to the same evolution that uh, the the e-commerce industry has gone. Yeah, definitely. So that's another reason why I love uh, joining David on this journey is because I see a lot of parallel between the AI space and the early e-commerce days. Uh, one of the things is like build versus buy. Um, I'm in product, well, I, one of my roles is in product marketing. So there's a lot of, you know, uh, things I learned there that, you know, one of the biggest pain points right now for, for marketers and a salesperson is to convince the customer it's better to buy versus build it in-house. Mm -hmm. So I see a lot of that conversation going on in the AI space right now. Okay. And then the other one is a lot of the tools that are being developed for AI are like DevOps, well, 
in the e-commerce world, it's called DevOps tools. But in the uh, AI world, it's like you know your your model ops or your ML ops tools. Right now, that's being built, yeah. but not a lot of tools being built on the analytical side. That's coming later. So, like if you look at the evolution of e-commerce, you have eventually you have you know your web analytics tools that are built for the business users so that they can understand how how their e-commerce traffic's doing, you know, the conversion rate and all that stuff. I don't see any of that in the uh, AI space right now. Okay. In fact, I'm, I have been thinking and coining the term model analytics. That's like the next big thing, next frontier that I think will be, uh, because like when you look at ML ops and model ops, it's all very reactive mm-hmm. and it's all very um, uh, tactical, I would say. Like you're trying to debug something because there's a fire in production, like suddenly your performance drop and you have to figure out why versus like an analytical tool is more proactive and more strategic. I would say you're looking at a bigger picture. So it's more for the business business decision makers. And Mm -hmm. there's honestly not a lot of tools out there that are built for business decision makers to understand AI at this point. And that's certainly something we want to do. Actually, actually digging a little bit deep into that couple of guests that we had, you know, on our show so far, uh, Dr. Bonnie Holler uh, comes to my mind and then there's a gentleman called Shailendra from Singapore. So one of the things that they mentioned along the lines you're talking about is that nowadays we build solutions in AI towards a problem, right? So that means you pick a model and then you, you know, train the uh, model with the data and then you uh, inference, you know, to solve certain analytics problems. But now what if the model has to be updated. It's now again, you know, it's completely used restart a project uh, towards, uh, you know, modernization of the models itself or you use a different model, right? So instead, so there's a plug and play concept that is coming into being towards what you're probably saying, which is that, you know, you separate the model from the data and then you pick the model as opposed to completely building a new solution because that is the big challenge for companies that they're going through. I think it looks like what you're saying is something related to that one, isn't it? That way you're more proactive about it uh, to solve the problem. Is that what you're saying? Well, I think what you brought up is another, I don't think it's exactly what I was saying. Like I've certainly seen a lot of, um, not a lot, like a few, what they call like model marketplace where you can just- Yeah, exactly buy a model and then like plug in your data and then like, you know, if it doesn't work, then you use a different model. Yeah. So I see a lot of that. I think what I'm coming from is just a way for business users to understand what the data scientists are doing and what these models are doing, because there's still that gap in between how data scientists communicate with the business decision makers. And ultimately it's the business decision makers that have to approve these AI systems to, you know, to be built and to go to production. So. Explainable AI, right? Another term that's coming onto the horizon. Okay, so don't get me started on explainable AI. I'll not go there. you over to you. Otherwise, we could just go down this route. Because I do want to say something. So there's a lot of talk about explainable AI, but when you really dive deep into it, right now, explainable AI are just debugging tools for data scientists. They're not what I think a you know reckless citizen in the world want explainable AI to be. Yeah. Well, you bring up a, a great point, Fiona. I mean, I think, and we see this again, we hear it from a lot of other speakers, uh, the fact that data scientists have problems explaining the results to their business counterparts. And 
um, there's like that chasm, that communication gap, as, as you said, between, okay, this is what the business is saying, and then data scientists can build their model, but who knows if they're actually building it correctly, but then the results not always get explained to business. So we see that as a data literacy, um, you know, challenge. So that's almost, again, something technology cannot fix, unfortunately, but it's just people, teams of people need to work together. Um, so maybe that analytics ops uh, solution that you're going to build in the future can help. Um, because for the most part, business people do not understand data science concepts. So how, what do you suggest, I mean, to, to help narrow that, that gap a little bit? So I think ultimately business decision maker make decision based on ROI, right? So I think there's that piece that's missing in the model building right now. In fact, I think one of the points made by um, sleep mining, uh, Timit Gabu, uh, the, the Google data scientist. Yeah, the, that the, got the, yeah, she was let go, yeah. Yeah, so her paper specifically called out how, how much um, energy training these models were using and is left for the environments. So I think that part is a actually very critical part that a lot of business users do not understand. It actually costs money to train these models. So is it worth it for you to keep training a model to get the 0.01% more accuracy? I think that's that's the type of decision making that like business users need to understand versus a data scientist. Oh, they love training models. They'll just keep training if like cost isn't an issue, right? So I think that's something we can certainly help bring to the table from an analytics point of view. Actually, the same argument is also being used against cryptocurrency, right? To mine the cryptocurrencies, right? So then you are using so much energy power at the end of the day, it's not worth it. Yeah. Right? Yep. So, so along these lines, um, Sophia, um, if, uh, let, let's say within the AI, from your perspective, if you have you know, a keynote speech, what do you think are the challenges that need to be addressed right, right now? Uh, first, let's speak it from an organization's perspective, right? So uh, Peggy brought up this data literacy aspect. So there are different, different companies at a different maturity area, uh, right? So some of the companies are in very early stages of what the technology is or how we can use it, right? So from an organization's perspective, what are the priorities, again, talking about AI, not the broad technology that the companies should uh, focus on? Like, I feel like for industry that are not even using a lot of data at this point, they certainly yeah. have a bigger gap to jump through before they even talk about AI, because like we talked earlier, AI is 80% data, right? Yeah. So I think that is one of the gap that like needs to be addressed if a company is looking at implementing AI. Um, but then the other part is once you have a company that has a lot of data, then it's about like structuring the data, labeling data, all that stuff, which I know like Peggy, probably you're more an expert in that than me. Um, assuming you have all the data you need and then like, then it's about really the ethical ethics of AI before you even design a project. I feel like that needs to be put into the whole 
like design process of an AI project, and it's the first thing that you need to do to do to do is using you know and there's so many tools out there right now, and even we have one called AI Readiness Planner to make sure you're ready to start your AI planning. Hmm. Um, look at like who should be the approvers, who should be accountable for you know um, uh, what data should be used because certainly there's a lot of companies using public data that shouldn't be <laughs> that they shouldn't be using when they're building AI models. Um, so there's a lot of like ethical issues that needs to be dealt with before you start an AI project. And because there's also a lot of push from ESG right now across you know, many different industries, ESG is environmental, so, so, uh, so social and governance, governance yeah, yeah. principles, yeah, ESG. Is yes. it an industry body or is it a government body? What is that? Um, I guess that is just a principle that like companies oh, are see. adopting, like BlackRock, for example, require all their funds to be ESG compliant by okay, 2023, right? There's a lot of that. Um, I think, again, it's back to Black Lives Matter and even Me Too movements. A lot of companies are now looking back, looking back, how do we like be good to not just our shareholders, but also, you know, our employees, the society, you know, the environment. So all that push is like putting AI ethics in the forefront. So AI ethics, AI governance should be the start of every AI project is what I would say. Hmm. That's good. Actually, uh, that gives us a you know very uh, a good blueprint to start with. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, another area uh, from a trends perspective, right? So we talked about the data being eighty percent. We talked about the model um, uh, market, uh, so some market for models that is that's also evolving. And the other thing that you also mentioned is this whole ML ops, right? So productizing the uh, AI itself, it's a very nascent stage, right? So taking it from train, uh, from you know POC projects and pilot into production itself is taking um, more time uh, as well. So the question I have for you is, it's, it goes to the heart of fairly AI, in my opinion. So fundamentally, organizations are profit oriented, right? I mean, I, I would say in general, right? So it's it's about creating customers. It's it's uh, you know making profit. And this whole governance aspect, right? So especially AI governance, does it stand in the way of companies saying that I want to maximize my profit and then this is something that I have to deal with and so I'll just deal with it only from that angle? Because each organization deals with this problem in different ways. Some of them are really proactive like IBM, killed the facial recognition because of the social goodness. But some other company said, you know, I will try to use it to you know, have a competitive differentiation with me and other companies, right? So how can you normalize this behavior of companies to maximize the profits, uh, but making sure that you know, AI is not being used for, you know, yeah, so for nefarious purposes, for lack of better words. Yeah, I think unfortunately you're right. There's certainly companies we've talked to is like, yeah, you know, there's bias in my data, but so what? Like, you know, <laughs> it's a very unfortunate. So, like, we are definitely coming at it uh, from the regulatory angle, governance, risk, and control. Mm -hmm. So, there's certainly like reputational risk uh, involved if, like, you know, you push out an AI algorithm that has, you know, that performance for all tech jobs, like Amazon tried to do, but they actually did scrap that. They found out. Um, 
So like I would say reputational harm is one of the main thing that we can try to push on. But ultimately, it is going to be regulations. Unfortunately, we cannot rely on companies to self-regulate. I think IBM's CEO agree with that. Uh, they, he actually came out and said, yeah, he support regulations. And then a few other tech leaders also said the same thing. So I think we are definitely seeing AI regulations, more AI regulations coming. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I think is where we would see the um, tipping point, I would say, for um, like adoption into AI governance. And because a lot of startups we talk to right now, like really they should be the one looking at AI governance and AI ethic issue. Um, I Probably David touched upon in his, his, in his uh, podcast. Um, that like data scientists, especially in the startup area, like are making some real ethical decisions. Yeah. And there's no oversight. There's no but oversight. at the same time, yeah, they're busy building and building a business, and like you know, that all get pushed to the back burner. Ethics and governance get all pushed to the back burner. Improving accuracy, making it better, you know, getting the results right. So just got to show something to the management. You know, who cares about ethics? You know, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, we've certainly heard like investors are now also demanding that you know, if they invest in an AI company, they make sure that they do the like various bias check and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. I don't know how like anyone is actually enforcing that or. How many when how many people are actually doing that? But yeah, it's but coming. Perhaps even ultimately before they can go to market, I think maybe their customers think people should demand ethics and fairness. Um, but I think we're, we're far away from that type of tipping point to to normalize it. So, um, but uh, thank you so much, Fion, for your your comments and uh, for your time today. Um, I know that I have learned a, a lot more about your company and the origins and really where it fits into the whole space of um, AI. So uh, really appreciate your time today, Fion. Thank you so much. And thank you Thanks very much. much. Really, really appreciate it. So yeah, yeah, so we've learned a lot. Um, and not only that, about the company, about you as a person as well, and then what drives you. Thank you. This was fun. We'll do it again sometime. Definitely. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard today and would like to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite player like iTunes and Spotify. And please do rate our podcast. Also, please go to our website, www.datatransformerspodcast.com for more episodes, blogs, and information on our speakers. Thank you.